Sasha. Hey, Courtney. Did you hear about the two corpses that crawled out of the ground to hook up and cheat on their still-living spouses? Uh, no. <laughs> it was a real grave affair. <laughs> <laughs> it's spoop hour. <laughs> comedy podcast hosted by two halloweenies this is sasha this is courtney and and we have christmas music because it's the holidays we remembered this year it's not like last year when my mom texted me no christmas music question mark and then i was like shit didn't happen this year this year i remembered it on my own so thanks for the break last week the holidays after thanksgiving was a lot and then i'm having a lot and i think just everything's a lot right now but we're almost to the end of the year, and there's holiday music. We're doing it. We've got so, holiday music. We're doing it. We got it. We've got exciting holiday bone cone coming up. We do. I only have ten chapters left in Breaking Dawn. That I feel is worth celebrating, because it's yeah. a long-ass book. And that means you're almost done with the nightmare. Yeah, well, but yeah. then we're going to read another the the next spinoff. Yeah, but that one, <laughs> the Edward Cullen book. Yeah, the Edward Cullen book. I'm pretty excited about because that's going to be the fun kind of clusterfuck, not the kind that makes me angry and wants Stephanie Meyer to yeah. get therapy and also have someone shit on her porch. So, right, you know. Oh my god. What I'm trying to say here is find joy even in darkness. Just find whatever okay. little tiny morsel of happiness you can and cling to it. <laughs> and if that's just cling to it, you're not not reading Breaking Dawn. You don't have shingles on your face. Like, amazing. You're like, crushing it. I'm so proud of you. The My local Trader Joe's had just tins upon tins upon tins of Jingle Jangle, and Jack and I bought five. <laughs> I mean, they're not all... Okay. They're not all for us. I already gave one to my parents, and one is going to his parents. We bought... We have three now for us, but one more might be a gift, too. So <laughs> we just need it to get through the winter. Right. I mean, <laughs> one one tin for him, one tin for me, and one tin we can share together. There you go. I, you brought me two boxes of Little Debbie's chocolate Christmas tree cakes, my favorite holiday treat. Yep. I am picking up groceries tonight, and I got myself another two boxes because the two boxes yes. you got me lasted about four days. <laughs> yeah. And I'm picking up I eggnog. S- so, like, let's fucking do this thing. <laughs> Again, what we're saying is find your morsels of happiness and eat them or drink them or, you know, cuddle them. Smoke them. (laughs) I'm I'm big this year on, I always fuck up how you say it, hug, what is it? Oh, Higgy. Higgy, yeah, that one. The, The, like, concept of just, like, whole body coziness. You know, yeah. sometimes joy... Let me show you what I'm wearing right now. She's naked as Old the day Navy. she was born, listeners. Old Navy has 
sweatsuit, jumpsuits, <laughs> onesies. That's spectacular. My friend Alyssa has been just, like, posting nonstop about it on their Twitter. Mm-hmm. And they went on sale for, like, $20 a few weeks ago before Thanksgiving. And so since Thanksgiving, so I guess, like, a week and a half now, I've just been wearing this. Yeah. 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 Like, for work, I will unzip the top half and, like, pull pull down the sleeves and then wear, like, a nice top on over here and then between classes I put the sleeves back on and zip it up so I've got like a nice like work blouse here and then when I'm not on camera I'm just like in my giant sweatsuit so it's it's quite nice yeah right now I'm wearing a Mickey Mouse t-shirt underneath it even though it's December and it is cold here I haven't been wearing like I I do wear dresses during the week and skirts Mm -hmm. when I'm working from home just because I like to but I haven't been wearing tights, which I usually, like, yeah. December usually, like, starting in, like, November onwards, it's all tights all the time. But mm-hmm. I haven't been, and what I've been doing instead is using the blanket that friend of the podcast Teresa got me for my birthday, which is a pumpkin patch with black cats in it. And so yes. instead of wearing tights, I just cocoon my lower half in that. Yep. And, like, I'm good. I work the whole day like that. And sometimes I put on slippers, too. So I now have so many pairs of, like, fleece, like, that micro fleece lined, like, giant sock, like, muckluck type slippers to wear. Uh, because, like, people keep giving them to me. Yeah. And I'm like, hell yeah, all right. And then, like, cozy socks and shit. So I literally um, have three just... different fluffy blankets on my bed, not counting my comforter. Yeah. Be cozy. Embrace the cozy. Embrace the cozy. Embrace comfort. We know everything kind of sucks. So that's why it's even more important to find the, like, little thing that's bringing you some happiness. Mm-hmm. Speaking of things that bring you things, did anything spooky happen to you this week? <laughs> did anything spooky happen to me this week? Uh, anxiety. <laughs> that's the spooky thing that follows us around. All. I've been having um, weird-ass nightmares lately. Yeah, it's it's weird ass nightmares. It's weird weird ass daymares. It's weird ass like I mean, a lot of our Twitter, a lot of our listeners also follow me on Twitter, and like you know that I've just been like ah about my school district wanting us to go back to school. Yeah, and so so that's been like my waking nightmare, I guess. But otherwise, like the kids have been good. I think maybe then the scary thing that happened this week was that yesterday I took Yuna, my dog, to see my parents just because my mom needed help finding Christmas presents online for my parents-in-law. My brother insisted that as a family, we build a fire in the fireplace and watch him play the horror video game Little Hope, which is by the same people who made Until Dawn and Man from the Dance. So it's like a choose-your-own-adventure horror oh, game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the entire the beginning of the, the game is just like basically watching a horror film of an entire family dying in a house fire. And it's just like... Sure sweetie like why are you making us do this he's like it's an interesting game let's watch this i'm like sweetie you asked us to build a fire in the fireplace and now you want us to watch all these people die in a house fire (laughs) yeah it's thematic (laughs) it's we're and he's like and we're gonna turn off all the lights and we'll just get the fire from the like the fireplace and the candles in the basement and it's just gonna be a real vibe sasha and i was like jeremy i like i don't like this at all and my dad was like eh my mom was like, eh. She was like, I'll bring my iPad down. We can Christmas shop while he plays. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'm like the one 30-year-old in the room that's just like, I'm scared. And like ho- hugging my dog. And like everyone else is just like, yeah, that's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't being 30 great? You're still afraid of everything yeah. and nothing has really changed. 
right? I'm like, my family dynamic is still exactly the same. My brother's 24, but he's still acting like he was when, like, he was 14 and I was 20. Yeah. Like, it's, nothing has changed. <laughs> How about you? Spooky things? Um, I mean, I've been having, like I said, nonstop nightmares just because I've got a lot going on. Like, I am stressed, but I'm not, like, falling apart stressed. I mean, I do mm-hmm. technically still have shingles on my face. It's mostly healed, but, you know, that is a thing that is still happening to me. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. I guess the spookiest thing as ever is I have shingles on my face, and I spent a lot of time. I cleaned out our downstairs. We call it the Harry Potter closet because it's under the stairs. We use it yeah. for storage. And what was spooky about doing that is usually there's a lot of spiders in there, and there weren't any this time. Uh oh, where'd they go? I don't know. They're planning something. <laughs> they must have seen me coming. Because, like, I literally, we're in no shoes household here, and we have been for years. We're all, like, super intense about, you know, taking your shoes off and leave the shoes at the door. I put yeah. Shoes on and went down to the Harry Potter cupboard because I was like, if there are spiders, I want to have something where I can reflexively just, like, stomp and be okay. <laughs> <laughs> Kick them in the face. Yeah. And then, <laughs> Yeet them you back know, into Sparta. They saw that I was wearing my professional business flats, and they didn't want to fuck with me, so. Because you're a professional lady. Yeah. They took you seriously. Yeah. They were yeah. like, this is a busy businesswoman who's got no time for our guff, so we better steer her clear. <laughs> what could be spookier than the lack of spiders? Right. <laughs> What are we talking about today? We are talking, today we're going to talk about mysterious and weird and strange deaths of people. Mm-hmm. But we also are going to, we need to touch on a little something called... Monoliths! No, monoliths, that's what it was. Monoliths. Yeah, monoliths. monoliths! I'm sure all of you guys have heard about monoliths, monoliths. Mon- Monoliths, monoliths at some point in the last couple of weeks, because for some reason there are monoliths going up in like remote places around the world, question mark. (laughs) What's the deal with these monoliths? What's the deal with all these monoliths? So it started in, I think in Utah, just this like, if you haven't seen a picture, it does look very sci-fi-y. It's just like a long metal column that just popped up in a national park in a kind of a remote area, and there weren't signs Mm -hmm. that, like, the ground had been disturbed or anything. It's just one day this monolith popped up. It's not there anymore because people were being rude to get to it, and they were disrespecting nature. So some people did take it down because hashtag leave nothing but footsteps or whatever. That's, yeah, leave no trace. I just thought that was so badass because, yeah, there are some people, the, the person who was, like, recording and filming it was like, yeah, it was really strange to, like, watch these people come in. They were like, I hope you got your photographs. And then they just, like, kicked it down and then it fell apart and it was gone. Yeah. They just, like, put rocks back where, where the hole had been. Yeah. And the person who was, like, doing this, like, kind of narrative about, like, what had happened was just like... Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, like, because people were, instead of trying to stick to, like, one trail, they were coming at it from, like, all sides and all angles. And, like, and they were other things driving and, to it instead of just, like, hiking and whatever. Hiking, yeah. So, you know, one monolith that appears so, mysteriously is strange enough. But then a second one appeared, and that one was in, was it in Siberia? A Croatia? Croatia. Hold on. Oh, I'm going to check. I'm just going to Google monoliths. monoliths. Uh, Romania. Romania. So it was one of the E's. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, California, Utah, and Romania. Yep. So three monoliths have popped up. They are all eerily similar. They're all about 10 to 12 feet tall. They show up and then they're it's gone. It's like a triangular prism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They show up Shiny and they're metal. gone. Yeah. And it's, it's weird. 
and we don't know where they're coming from. Apparently, according to the New York Post, an artist group took credit for the mysterious Utah monolith, but to use a term the kids would use, I am sus of this. Yeah, well, the one in California was in Atascadero, and it was destroyed by a group... So this is, they traveled from Orange County to San Luis Obispo County. It's San Luis Obispo. Sorry. Obispo, yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, I, I've, like, never heard of that place before. It's like, uh, Obispo? Yeah, it's spelled weird, but you just gotta say it with confidence and just, yeah. it doesn't look like it sounds. <laughs> so, so they destroyed it, replaced it with a makeshift wooden cross, but then now the cross is gone. But basically, they, they, there's a video... And it says, three of the men are seen pushing the monolith down and chanting, Christ is king and America first. (sighs) And then... Why can't we just have fun, spooky monoliths without white supremacists getting in there? Right, so throughout more than five hours of... So so where the Utah monument was, like, just taken down very quickly, Mm -hmm. and they were like, leave no trace, and they left. The one in California was five hours of video where... The men are heard making racist statements and sake. comments regarding Jesus Christ. They make references to aliens from outer space and undocumented immigrants. There's a man dressed in military garb, and he's heard yelling at the other men in the video to sing Battle Hymn of the Republic and other military songs. And, yeah, they make references to white power and burning crosses. But, yeah, it was like, so that one was destroyed by white supremacy. White supremacy um, ruins everything. All, Ruins everything. So that that I got from an NBC News article. Yeah, there. Some people are still in, insisting aliens. Other people are still insisting artists, and maybe like an, a conglomerate of artists or yeah, like an association. As much as I would love if it were aliens, I don't think it is. I suspect it is an artist group that maybe the one that came forward did do the original one, and then. Mm-hmm. The other two were just copycats. Because, like, yeah. you know, we're saying they're eerily similar, but, like, it's not like it's the hardest it's thing in the world hard. to mimic. It's a reflective, no. like, obelisk, you know? Yeah. What I love about this NBC News article says that, film lore aside, if ex- extraterrestrials were to give humans a gift, what might it actually be? To start, we have to consider the shipping costs. <laughs> Even the nearest star system is more than four light years away, and that's the minimum distance to any alien neighborhoods. But whether they're near or far, the FedEx charges will be hefty. According to my very approximate calculations, the cost of transporting a 100-pound monolith to our solar system at one-tenth the speed of light, so slow in other words, yeah. Could well over be $800 million, assuming the aliens pay 13 cents per kilowatt hour for energy, which is the same rate charged by the average American utility <laughs> company. So thank you, Seth Shostak, senior astronomer at the SETI Institute, for this piece, this hot take on NBC News. I love SETI <laughs> because, like, they're doing good work to try and figure out if there is, you know, intelligent extraterrestrial aliens. life. But also, Mm -hmm. then they do shit like that, where they're like, you know, if you ship this via FedEx, it would actually not be very cost efficient. (laughs) Right. So I I love that. So thank you, SETI. And thank (laughs) Thank you, you, Monolith. No thank you, as always, to white supremacists. You guys can go fuck yourselves. Go fuck yourselves. Yeah. Yay. But (laughs) shout out to people who pick up trash in the wilderness. Yes. You're the real MVPs. Yeah. Yeah. Leave no trace. Leave Take no. what you brought with you. 
Don't leave anything behind. Speaking of leaving things behind, we are talking about weird deaths today. But Courtney and Sasha, haven't you already done like seven Unsolved Mysteries episodes and a couple murder episodes? Yes, and we're doing it again and you can't stop us. (laughs) And I will say the three deaths that I'm talking about today aren't even murders. It's just like weird shit because we didn't have medical technology. (laughs) See, mine is a murder, but it is a weird one that I have never heard of. And I'm pretty well versed in the weird ones. I was going to say, you're pretty well versed in murders. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. just, like, other weird things. Like, I saw someone commented on something in some group that you and I are both in, because we're in a bunch of different f- groups on Facebook, mm-hmm. and, like, you were like, oh, yeah, the dollop had a great episode about that. Yes. And I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah, that was the origins of cereal. Oh, that's right, about the, yeah, Because the cereal Kellogg snack guy. had just closed, and justice yeah. was served in Cinnamon Toast Crunch 1, but, like... Cinnamon Toast Crunch! The original reason why we have cornflakes were basically as an anti-masturbatory aid, because... There was a very popular diet at the time that said, you know, you can prevent a whole bunch of health problems if you don't touch yourself. But if you touch yourself, you're basically going to get all of the diseases. And the things that cause you to touch yourself are like spicy foods, sweet foods, (laughs) things that taste good. So they make cornflakes to keep you from jerking it. Anyway, let's talk about... Anyway, but yeah, but that, you know, have like all this esoteric knowledge so that the fact that there is a weird murder that you've never heard of is bananas. There was a, somebody in a podcast group was like, there's this story and it's about a lighthouse and it was either two or three dudes and somebody ended up getting strapped to the side. I'm like, everyone out of the way. This is the smallest lighthouse incident. A lot of podcasts have covered it, so I can't tell you which podcast specifically you're thinking of, but you're looking for the smallest lighthouse incident, which is the story upon which the film The Lighthouse is based, which Sasha told us about in our Lighthouse episode. Yeah. So, but even with all of my ridiculous like, highly specific knowledge. I have never heard of this one, and it is fucking weird. So. It is, yeah. So I'm excited. Yay. <laughs> do you want me to go first, or do you want to do your three? I'll, I'll do my historical three, and then we'll build up to yours. Cool. All right. It's so, long, and there's going to be yelling. <laughs> there, it, yeah, so I'm just going to warm us up with some, like, weird, we didn't have enough science stuff back then, but anyway. We didn't a few have weeks the ago, science. I don't know why I'm so singy today. We didn't have the science. Yeah. So a few (laughs) weeks ago, I went to school to help start unboxing 6,000 paperback books uh, (sighs) that the English department had delivered over the summer because, yeah, there's we just got 6,000 free books from a publisher Mm -hmm. for our students. And it's great, but 6,000 books is a lot. Mm -hmm. And a couple of the books were just full of samples. So it was like, you didn't order these books, but here, have two or three of each so you know, like, what we have in our catalog. So... My department chair and wonderful best friend, Julia, gave me this book called <laughs> How They Croaked, The Awful Ends of the Awfully Famous. Please send Georgia me a picture Bragg. of that cover because I was not <laughs> expecting that to pop up on the screen. <laughs> illustrated by Kevin O'Malley. And she was like, I think you need this for spoop hour. It's true, we do. And so the the back this book is geared for like, I think, like middle school age kids, because sure. some of it is delivered very like kind of cute and tongue-in-cheek, and also like they they'll say like the person, you know, had this disease, and then it goes into like a very simplified explanation of what the disease is. But yeah. it's really cute. If you have any spooky children in your life, I definitely recommend fr- recommend it. I'll be reading from it for you guys today. But the the back of this book says, "Warning: If you don't have the guts for gore, do not read this book." So also, if you have a child in your life who likes creepy things, <laughs> also, if you don't have the guts for gore, that means it's a it's a scary for Sasha's book. <laughs> Well, so I thought it was going to be scary for Sasha's book, but I've been watching 
Jack play a lot of violent video oh. games lately, and so I'm like starting to like build a stomach for it a little sure. bit. And also, this is all history, so I was like, oh, oh, I can handle history. Yeah, that's, I can handle historical. That's how lore. I am with yeah. true crime stories, where like if I listen yeah. to it and I don't have to see it, I'm like, this is fine. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you and I talk about so many weird, mysterious things that happen with, like, gross stuff. Yeah. And, like, if I don't have to look at it, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> so over the course of history, men and women have lived and died. Whether someone had <laughs> a lung true. explode... <laughs> whether someone had a lung explode, was stabbed to death, or croaked from a really bad sore throat, getting sick and dying tended to be a big, ugly mess, especially before modern medical care. From King Tut's ancient autopsy to Albert Einstein's great brain escape, these pages contain all the gory details of the awful ends of 19 awfully famous people. And so it is starred. It has a starred review from Bookis, a book list, and from Kirkus as well. So definitely good stuff for the creepy children in your life. Yay! So, so I'm going to be telling you all today about Henry VIII, about Galileo Galilei, and who was the last one? Oh, Napoleon Bonaparte. Duh. <laughs> So, so three very strange men over the course of history. Just strange guys He's all around. Just a bunch of weird dudes. <laughs> just a bunch of weird dudes. And so this book does go into a little bit of the history of the person, but we're going to just get straight into the death because I think you guys all know about Henry VIII and you know what a terrible person he was. Divorced, beheaded, so, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. And just really just all around a bad guy. Just Liked not collecting a- jewels and, you know, Skull, you know, getting skulls of his beheaded victims and then killing his wives and just being an all-around asshole. Yep. So, killing 70,000 of his countrymen just because they didn't agree with him, bankrupting the treasury, and burying all those wives made Henry want to overeat until his outsides matched who he was on the inside. A hateful 320-pound ogre. So he was definitely, like, not a small man. Yeah. He was a very large man. <laughs> and I didn't know that he got up to 320 pounds. Like, I've he always seen you know, the boy. portraits yeah. and paintings of him. He looking, he like, you know, very, you know, like like a like a barn, right? He's built like a barn, but yeah. I didn't realize he was built like a barn that was also because he indulged. Yes, but also he but, had the money too and nobody told him no, so. The, right, like when you think about who's living, the peasantry living under him, and then you see him like that, it's like, oh, geez. Like, yeah, you're, mm. you're a real piece of garbage. Because we don't, we don't do body pe- shaming here. But, like... We don't do this, body shaming, This but guy like, was a real piece of shit, so... Yeah. And he, he feasted while his people starved, yep. basically. He also invented yeah. a church so he could break up with someone. Not a great right. dude. Not a great dude, no. So the blood in him, uh, his legs had trouble circulating back to his heart because of his large weight, and he had a throbbing, purplish, stinky, open wound of rotting flesh with pus and plugged veins and exposed nerve endings that developed on his thigh. So we're also talking about having a gaping open wound in the 1500s. Did okay, he, like, so just kind of tell anybody about that, or was he just like, oh, yeah, bye. so... It caused him excruciating pain and high fevers, and all the king's horses and all the king's men put together mixtures of lead, silver, pulverized coral, and something called dragon's blood. We don't know what that is, but dragon's blood. Just sure. go with it. Cooked it into a paste and smeared it on his legs. They made the king drink ground pearls and sawdust mixed with water. And whenever the skin healed over the infection, it hurt Henry even more, and his doctors would start over again. Yikes. The king's sore leg was not open for a discussion. His spies were ordered to report people chit-chatting about his health, and the punishment was to have their ears cut off or be burned at the stake. It was the king's choice, really, just like, however he felt like he was being dissed, he got to dole out the punishment. This dude sucks. So everywhere the king went, mum was the word, and there was an elephant in the room, and it was Henry and his diseases. Gross. 
At 44, he jousted for the last time. Dressed in full body armor, limping and clanking, he climbed the specially made platform to mount his horse, which was also clad in full regalia. The king and his ride was were an easy target, but it was always best to let the king win. But this time, with just a little poke of his opponent's long pointy stick, Henry's overburdened horse slumped to the ground and rolled over onto Henry's good leg, cutting a gash in his thigh. Henry was knocked unconscious. Everybody thought this might be the end of King Henry, but again, no one was talking because they were like, uh, they were like I don't want to be burned at the yet. stake. What happened right. to King Henry? I don't know. Can't tell you. Got no details. <laughs> so two hours, two hours later, he woke up. Oh. So not the end yet. <laughs> and things were normal for a while. Like he was like, okay, well, I survived that. Like, I'm just going to keep going have all this like weird stuff coming out of my legs but okay that seems fine and he ran he went on a trip to shoot spears and darts at stags normal king-like behavior darts yeah darts at big deer (laughs) i'm assuming they're like big darts and they're not like the darts we know today where he's just like i I hope not right (laughs) that stag's gonna be like what the fuck man what the fuck is happening here this isn't even doing anything So unfortunately, he, well, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your perspective, probably fortunately, he returned bloated and feverish with both legs inflamed. He could barely walk. And at this point, all of his men were like, oh, we can't say anything. This man's clearly on the brink of death, but we're not saying anything. So they collected his urine in in flasks so they could compare it to the amount of liquid he drank. And they examined his stools and gave him enemas to lower his fever. It was just really like, let's just try to keep this engine going, huh? Barber surgeons, who were trained to cut hair, lance boils, pull teeth, and perform other minor yet painful procedures, cauterized his legs. They applied burning hot irons to his leg wounds, and they melted away the flesh to stop bleeding and halt the spread of infection, but it ultimately did not work. Henry VIII died on January 28th, 1547, from infected legs and a pulmonary embolism. Yikes. He was 55 years old. It's it's funny, because I didn't realize, like, he wasn't that old. Yeah. When he died. Yeah. I mean, all things I mean, considered, kind of, frankly, yeah. he, he was in his 40s in the 1500s. Unheard of. Yeah. He had these horrible wounds on his leg. Yeah. It's a miracle like, no, he made it as long as he did. Knowing what happened with the joust when he was 44, I'm like, it's mad, amazing that you lived another 11 years. Yeah. <laughs> I assumed that story was going to end with, and he never woke up. <laughs> right? Oh, God, I wish. So for two days... People were still afraid to talk about this because they were like, oh, shit, like, King is dead. Like, what do we do? That would be me. I'd be like, no, this motherfucker's faking it. He's trying to catch me. That King Henry's great. I don't want to talk about it. We're just going to keep talking about it. So his meals continued to be delivered with the trumpets blaring and the usual whoop-de-doo. And he was just dead in his bed smelling like a giant rotting egg. Eventually, he was placed in a not-so-completely-sealed lead coffin. And while lying in state, his toxic remains exploded. And some of his royal splendidness dripped out of the side of the coffin. I have so many questions. Because he's already starting to decompose. Was it standard for them to give people lead coffins? That seems intense. Yeah. So I have, yeah, it's pretty intense. So the body of Henry VIII was ultimately buried in a vault at St. George's Chapel next to the body of his third wife, Queen Jane, who is the mother of his only son. And after Henry was put to rest, no one bothered to finish the vault or even put his name on it. So 
Like, they were just like, all right, well, he's definitely deadsies, so we're just going to move on. They're like, what's he going to do? Cut our ears off from beyond the grave? Fuck off. Right? So in 1649, the chapel was partially dismantled during the Great Rebellion. And in 1805, the stone sarcophagus that his lead coffin was in was taken away and used by someone else. And then in 1813, Henry VIII's unmarked vault was found completely by accident. (laughs) This is like almost 300 years later. His coffin, which was never sealed properly, was still partially open. (laughs) And ultimately, later in the 1800s, Queen Victoria refurbished the chapel in memory of Prince Albert. (laughs) And it was renamed the Albert Memorial Chapel. But Henry VIII's tomb is still in there. It's just that that's it's how now much people Albert's were like, chapel. Who gives a shit about this asshole? <laughs> right, Let's so that's rename how... his fucking tomb. That's how we don't give a shit about Henry VIII's it ended up. Was just like, we left him in there, we forgot to mark his grave, it went on for a couple of centuries, then Queen Victoria was like, I'm going to name this after my husband. Seems fine. <laughs> And King King Henry's there too, but don't worry about it. Don't worry about it's it. It's Albert's room now. <laughs> yeah, Albert's just got a roomie. He's just got a roomie. You know. All right. <laughs> My next man is Galileo Galilei. And this is a man who basically refused to go down. This is another person who, like, could have greatly benefited from, like, modern medicine. But the modern medicine of the time was a lot of guesswork. So at age 45... But at this point, Galileo had already outlived most of my peers. You're thinking about, like, in the 1500s, people aren't living long. Yeah. He was born in 1564, so a little bit after Henry VIII had passed. Quick question. Um, But still, you you know, if you made it to 35, you know, you're lucky. Yeah. But at 45, he'd outlived everyone. Question. And he actually, yeah. How soon after he was 45 does he die? Because I always imagine Galileo as being one of those people with, like, the big long beard like an old old man oh yeah he died at i believe 77 okay good so he was on yeah, the, like he, he wasn't old old but he was on the old because i was yeah, gonna be like he, he died sorry. at 77 have we been portraying this 44 year old as having a big long white beard no it's crazy because he basically lived two lifetimes of like the average person of the time period even though he should have gone down many times, like, based on the health issues that this man had and how the cures caused more health issues. Good. But he just, like, was this stubborn old scientific man who was like, nope, I'm not going. Fuck you, I'm gonna live forever. (laughs) So it was at 45 that he discovered that the Earth was actually moving around the sun. So we're in a heliocentric solar system. So he, it's great. Okay, he discovers something. However, other things were moving, and they were in his body. He had kidney stones. There was uh, crystallized uric acid basically was thro- coming out of his urine, and it felt like there were burning asteroids in his groin. <laughs> the that problem seems was, fine. Yeah, that seems fine. At this time, because water was sort of like still kind of a murky thing, and people were like, oh, I don't know about disease, wine was still the safest thing to drink. So... <laughs> Galileo only ever drank wine. He never drank water. <laughs> so that's a lot. So, so this is this motherfucker figured out that the earth is round when he was just drunk all the time. Yeah, and that it went around the sun, but he only ever drank wine. Cool. So that's how he's doing his best learning is that he was just drunk all the time. Yep. 
So he ended up also developing gout. So he started having these like weird, painful meteorites developing in his feet and knees. And then it started deforming his claws into uh, like lumpy knuckles and twisted fingers and some raw sort of peeling skin. It didn't really matter how smart he was. He just didn't realize that the lead that was added to his wine as flavoring was poisonous. They put as well lead as in wine? To, to make it flavorful. And also, what did it lead taste leached, like death? Right? And lead leached from metal casks that the wine was cured in. So basically, he and a lot of other people in this time period were drinking a lot of lead-laced wine. And it gave him headaches, anemia, and rotten teeth. Wait, and why? yet this motherfucker figured out that we were in a heliocentric solar system. Side note, I now understand why they put Henry VIII in the lead casket, because probably that bitch loved wine, and they're like, we're going to treat him like the wine he loved so much. <laughs> let's put <laughs> him like, in a... Yeah, lead seems fine. Just right? stuff him in a wine barrel. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. So Galileo at this point was barely getting around by the time he sat down to write his book about the sun-centered universe called The Dialogue Concerning the Two Chief World Systems. At this point, he had a hole in his stomach muscle where his intestines bulged out, or a hernia, (laughs) and a heavy iron contraption called a truss was strapped on him every day to plug the hole. He saw a large halo around any light he looked at, and within the halo, he saw nothing because of eye infections and what we now now know is glaucoma. Oh, no. But none of this stopped him from writing. Like, he just was like, yeah, I still need to write down all my research. Sure. So... But what was he thinking? Because the last guy who mentioned a sun-centered universe was burned at the stake by the church police or the holy office of the Inquisition. Galileo's like, look, bitch, lead poisoning hasn't killed me. Do you think you can? (laughs) Fuck you. Yeah, like, fuck all you guys, right? (laughs) So Galileo published, he still published his book, and he believed it was his ticket to immortality. So he's like, I figured out something really novel. I'm going to live forever. So the leaders of the Inquisition called Galileo, and they're like, what, bitch? Who do you think you are? (laughs) I I heard you were talking smack about who's the center of the universe. So how about we schedule a little conversation? Right? So Galileo gets to this Inquisition trial, and he was definitely the smartest guy in the room. But he knew that wasn't going to impress the Inquisitors, so he pretended to be dumb. The Inquisitors (laughs) are like, that don't impress me much. Me much. This is our most musical episode ever. I'm so sorry. It really is. And even though he was playing dumb, they were still like, heresy! And he was like, uh-oh. And they were like, sentence you to death. And he was like, ooh, okay, uh, actually, I take that back. And they were like, all right, that's what we like to hear. And so his re- sentence was instead reduced to life imprisonment. And at this point, he's 70. so And he was looking more dead than alive, again, with all of these issues that I was telling you about that should have killed him yeah. earlier. His life imprisonment so, is like, we're giving you 15 years of your life back because you should have died a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, so basically they were like, you know, we're going to do life imprisonment, but uh, you can be arrested at home. <laughs> so they were like, you can just go home now. You're only going to be alive and for so, like two more weeks. We don't want to bother. <laughs> so they sent him home. His students moved back in with him and they just got back to work. And he eventually went completely blind and everything hurt. So his students had to carry him around in a chair and he kept working and he lived another seven years like this. But eventually all of the lead poisoning, all of it, got to him. And he died of kidney failure on January 8th, 1642 at 77. One interesting tidbit is that Galileo's middle finger is on display at the Museum of History of uh, of 
in the Museum of the History of Science in Florence, Italy, and engraved below his finger are these words. This is the finger belonging to the illustrious hand that ran through the skies, pointing at immense spaces and singling out new stars. But really, I think it's the finger that pointed at the Inquisition and went, try me, bitch. Yeah, it's like you want to fucking go pew pew. He's got big Rasputin energy, though. For right? all of you these can't... things that should have killed him and they just didn't. Right? Can't bring that man down. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then finally, Napoleon. So I'm just going to gloss over everything that Napoleon did. We knew he was the empire at some point, And then eventually Great Britain, Austria, Russia, and Prussia were like, you know what? Fuck this guy. And so they took over Paris and forced Napoleon to give up. And they exiled him to the island of Elba. And he hated islands. There was never anything to do there, and he had nothing to conquer, and he was just, like, really fucking bored. Meanwhile, the rest so, of us are like, I, I could be exiled to an island. Like, does somebody right? want like, like, just put me in a house on an island and just tell me not to do anything? Because that would be... Right? That'd be fine. I mean, the Cullens have an island. Like, oh, God, they not? do, just, and they just use they it for do. fucking... They just use it for fucking. So, Napoleon ends up escaping from the island of Elba. He's like, you know what, fuck this shit, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> And so he goes back to France and regains power. But then 100 days later, British and Prussian armies were like, you know what? Fuck you at Waterloo. And he was captured again. <laughs> Remember Why? when we told you to stay on your island? What didn't you do? What, did you, what didn't you do? You didn't stay on your fucking island. Now you had, we have to exile you somewhere else. You had one fucking so they job. To, they sent him to St. Helena, which was a 70-day uh, boat ride to an island basically in the middle of the southern Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> and... Listen, there were 3,000 annoyed English officers who were stuck with him. So it wasn't like he was being exiled to an island by himself. He was being exiled to an island with 3,000 other British soldiers who were like, are, are you fucking serious? Like, yeah. we have to do now this. No, we have to live on this fucking island because of you, you dickhead. You dickhead. So after sitting on the island for about five years, killing nobody and doing nothing and not getting to conquer a damn thing. Meanwhile, I'm Napoleon's- like, oh, God, I would pay so much to just, like, do nothing for five years. Right. So Napoleon basically fell out of shape. He became just kind of like a soft, squishy man. Like he was just like, well, there's no conquering here. So that's I guess my I'm ideal state the- is being soft and squishy. Soft and squishy, right? I love being soft and squishy. That's but the goal. At this point, he lost all of his hair except that on his head. <laughs> I don't know how he just shed all of his body hair, but he did. So he just like was like lost all of his like figure, and he just like is soft and squishy and hairless now, except for his head. He's um, basically becoming a, a seal, which whom among us does not want to be a seal. And the sun gave him a headache and he needed help standing. And there was a piercing pain in his stomach that just like never quit. So he's just like not. He's not having fun. He's not having fun. He would have hiccups that went on for days and days, and not the cute kind where you're like, hick, hick, right? But the kind where, like, people try to scare it out of you. They're like, that sounds like it's hurting you. I hate those. I was thinking about it. It's like, it feels a little bit like dry heaving. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, the ones yeah. that, like, it's, like, hurt really in your, like, breastbone. And it hurts. Yeah. yeah. Like, and you're right just like, sternum. I need to stop up, but I can't, you know, mm-hmm. that one. So, to make him feel better, doctors on the island used chemical warfare on the lining of Napoleon's stomach, which triggered vomiting on a massive scale. They also mixed together a manly dose of a highly explosive ingredient known to detonate an intestinal bomb with 100% accuracy. The resulting poop gave new meaning to the phrase surprise attack from behind. Unfortunately for everyone, Napoleon shat himself in the bed every couple of hours for the next few days, and it was said by people who took notes during all of this to be impressive. Honestly, that's basically the goal of why cereal was invented, was for you to just 
poop it all out because the thought was you had to like they had chairs that were literally designed you'd eat these like high fiber diets that were super bland and then you'd go in this chair that was just supposed to shake you until you shit yourself so like (laughs) napoleon was ahead of his time in terms of that horrifying practice an attack from behind so while the doctors were taking a break, Napoleon's valet basically had to work nonstop changing the sheets. And we only know about this because people like the valet and other house staff and the soldiers that were stationed on this island wrote about all of this happening. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'd be like, oh, shit. The dude Napoleon who, like, conquered half the world is now like, pooping himself in bed? You'd tell like, everyone. I've changed the sheets seven times today, you guys. You guys. Like, I'd be live-tweeting this. <laughs> and then Napoleon just only got worse. And so the doctors blistered his thighs and stomachs trying to release what was killing him. Again, at this point, this is the 1700s, or actually, this is the 1800s. This is 1821 that this is happening. So still, we don't have a lot of me- medicine or medicinal understanding. We just feel like, okay, we need to, like, burn this person, blister them, and, like, release what's in them. Yeah, we'll just take some blood out and call it a day. And then they followed it by a soothing smear of wax, resin, and mutton suet. So, like, the lining of a stomach. And then flies were all like, hey, what's up, you guys? And so then there was another task for, like, other, you know, valet and, like, housekeeping people who were, like, monitoring his vitals, having to swat flies off of Napoleon's basically, like, decaying body. And then they put him under a net because they were like, we need to stop this. He is so lucky that Twitter did not exist. Right? And on his last day, Napoleon was laughing crazily and just throwing up black shit, just like just leaking out of his body. And so then the doctors blistered his feast, his chest and one of his calves. His eyes opened and then rolled back into his head. And that was it. Napoleon was dead. He died on May 5th, 1821, and he was 51 years old. His body was washed with eau de cologne and laid out on his old army cot. And basically, as soon as word hit, everyone was like, we're going home! Yay! (laughs) They're like, he's done. done. Sorry, Napoleon. So the next morning, a famous sketch was drawn of Napoleon's valet. And doctors did an autopsy. They opened his chest, and what a surprise, there was a heart. It was cut out and put in a jar, and then they found what had killed him. It was a cancerous stomach ulcer. It was Uh. in a spot where Napoleon had his hand in so many paintings. Finally, the dead body was sewn back together. Napoleon's valet took the bloody autopsy sheet and cut it up for souvenirs, and the valet cut off all of Napoleon's hair to put in frames and lockets. After a big ceremony and a gun salute, Napoleon was put into the ground under some trees, and their branches were stripped for souvenirs. Sure. 19 years after Napoleon died, the British finally allowed Napoleon's remains to be returned to France. First, they took a quick peek inside his coffin to make sure he was still there, <laughs> and that he was still dead. And then they took his corpse back to Paris, and he lives in Napoleon's tomb. All right. So that was bananas. I have... Many questions about how people would live tweet Napoleon's death, but that was Napoleon just, a just lot. shit himself, and then in parentheses, it's like one over question mark. <laughs> right. As it turns out, Napoleon did want his heart to go to his wife, but it never did. Didn't they keep Much his like dick? His... I don't know. I, I, they didn't say that in this children's book, but I, they uh, probably did. <laughs> they didn't say that in this children's book. <laughs> I children's why. book. Because I, I vaguely remember when I was reading about Rasputin's dick that's on display in that weird Russian like sex museum. They were yeah. talking about whoever had Napoleon's dick, and it's like, well, Rasputin's dick is way bigger, so ours is clearly better. <laughs> yeah, and I think I it mean, was like, Napoleon's dick. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. because that sounds like a like something they would do since they were like basically harvesting him for souvenirs. Yeah, but you know, like that's it's just like so crazy to to hear 
like to see the downfall like that i've just for my extent of knowing about napoleon is that like he lost he was he was like overthrown exiled and then that that was it i didn't know he was exiled twice yeah and i also didn't know that he like basically fell apart in his death lord i will say the 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 thing where he, like, presses on his stomach and sticks his hand in. My little brother is finally getting treatment for Yay. what's been ailing him. But he, when he's not feeling well, and, like, throughout this year, when he hasn't been feeling well, he would press on, like, the part that hurt to, like, try to keep it from hurting. And he'd wear this button-down sweater, big fluffy cardigan that Jack got him for Christmas last year. And he'd stick his hand in, and he'd just walk around, and I'd be like, are you Napoleon? And he's like, weirdly enough, this is helping. <laughs> And so that's why Napoleon would press on his stomach. Wow, maybe your brother's Napoleon reincarnated. I that's he a might honestly like he has very big ideas about conquest that and taking over the government that I think Jeremy is Napoleon reincarnate. Yeah. So watch you heard out it here first, that. folks. <laughs> watch out for that revolution coming soon, probably about twenty twenty four. All right. Be on the lookout. Are you ready to hear about a weird-ass murder that I had never heard of? Tell me about this weird-ass murder that we've never heard of. Okay, so if you had heard of this, I am very impressed. Again, I found it in a random thought catalog listicle because I just Googled spooky deaths. Because when Sasha said, let's do weird death stuff, I was like, got it. Spooky deaths. Let's go. So yeah. I found and if thought- you're into this stuff and you knew about this stuff, maybe reach out to us and like we'll have you on. <laughs> yes. <'Cause-> so <laughs> this comes from Thought Catalog, Wikipedia, New York Daily News, abc.net.au, unsolvedcasebook.com, and the Huffington Post. Go ahead and give Wikipedia some money. It's the end of the year. Yeah. Go ahead and give them their the way. money. Yeah. Anyway, this is the Gatton murders, which I have been saying with absolute confidence from the beginning because I know that's exactly how it's pronounced. That (laughs) is how you pronounce it. Gatton. Yeah, you've been exactly correct. Just crushing it. I didn't have to look it up. I didn't watch a YouTube video just now. I just knew it. So on December 26th, 1898, three of the 10 Murphy siblings, Michael, age 29, Nora, age 27, and Ellen, age 18, went to Gatton Hall in Gatton, Queensland, Australia, to attend a dance. And I put in my notes, I gasped when I saw that this happened on Boxing Day. Holiday music justified. It's a spooky Christmas happening, y'all. Spooky Christmas! Because it's the day after Christmas. So that's probably, it was probably like a Boxing Day dance. And they're like, let's do this. Unfortunately, they got to the hall. And they found out that the dance had been canceled, possibly because it was Uh Boxing Day and everybody was, like, at home, but who knows. So they were like, okay, we'll turn around, we'll head back home. But when they didn't return by 7.30 a.m., their mother Mary started to worry. Dances at the time did often go super late into the night, like, like in the wee wee hours of the morning, probably because it was the only socially acceptable time to be like around other hot young people. So like mm-hmm. you could like go and dance and flirt with boys and do whatever you wanted. Yeah. In like a socially acceptable contents and and you know, people wouldn't call you a slut. So like if they hadn't been back by three AM, probably their mom would be like, Hey, we'll be back soon. But at seven thirty, it was weird. So Mary sent her son-in-law, William McNeil, who was the husband of one of the other Murphy siblings, because there are 10 of them. Uh So William McNeil is now on a mission to just go to the dance hall and see what happened to the siblings. Like, maybe their cart broke, maybe they got waylaid, like, what's going on? So, out William goes to find them. He soon recognized the distinctive tracks of his sulky. Sulky is a very silly word. It's actually one of those little, like, horse-drawn carts. Like, one of the little little dudes. It's apparently called a sulky. Oh. So 
William knew, like, McNeil knew this was his cart because it had a wobbly wheel and he had loaned it to Michael the day before for this outing specifically. So when he saw the track with the wobbly wheel, he's like, this is definitely my silky. This is definitely where they came. So. Yeah. He follows the very clear imprint, knowing that this is my silky. I'm going to find him, whatever. And he found that it had abruptly turned off the main road, which was a little weird, but whatever. So he keeps following the track. And he continued down a rough trail through a neighbor's pasture, and that's when he found them. Michael, Nora, Ellen, and the horse were all lying on the ground. For a moment, William thought they might be sleeping. And then he saw the ants on Nora's cheek. They weren't sleeping. So, Nora's body had been placed on a neatly spread rug under a tree a little less than 30 feet away from Michael and Ellen's bodies. Michael and Ellen were placed back to back, nearly touching each other. Weirder still, the horse had been shot in the head and placed 36 feet from Nora and 17.5 feet from Michael and Ellen, forming a weird triangle shape with the bodies. Uh. So three different kill sites forming a little rough triangle. Uh Uh-huh. Weirder still, the legs of all three siblings had been carefully arranged so that their feet pointed west and their heads pointed east. So this wasn't just how they fell. They were arranged to point this way. Yeah. Both women had their hands tied behind their back with handkerchiefs. The positioning of the bodies at M.O. was very unique. And so people thought for sure, we're going to see this again. To this day, it has never been repeated in any other murder in Australia. Holy shit. So just this one where the body's positioned like this. So McNeil has now found the bodies of his siblings-in-law. So he contacted acting Sergeant William Errol, who was the head of the Gatton police station, and told him about the crime. Errol came out and took a look, and he was like, this is way the fuck above my pay grade. I'm a small town yeah. investigator. This is not, I don't know. So This is like Twin Peaks, but in Australia. Yeah, <laughs> he's so like, he's, like, he's like, this here. is not my thing. We got to get the big guns in there. Unfortunately, he kind of whiffed getting the big guns in there because he contacted police from Brisbane, but not in a timely fashion. So the Brisbane police heard about the crime the next morning, and then it took them another 24 hours to get out there. So Uh. the investigation of the bodies did not start until 48 hours after they had been found. Not great. In the wilderness. It's going to get worse. Did they get eaten? No. Well. I'm like, Okay. No, I don't think I, like, so. Nothing animals? mentioned no, okay. get eaten, but it's entirely possible. You'll see why in a second. So, okay. police finally arrive on the scene. It's been two fucking days since the bodies were found. Yeah. They find that all the siblings have been killed around the same time, somewhere between 10 p.m. on December 26th and 4 a.m. December 27th. Michael had been shot and then struck with a blunt instrument on the side of his head, while Ellen had been bludgeoned twice on the side of her head. The positioning of their bodies suggested they had been placed there back to back, then killed while they were sitting upright. Nora had been struck on the left side of her head as well, but she had also been strangled with one of the horse's harnesses. So three bodies, three kind of killed in slightly different ways. Like they were all hit in head, but, you know, one died from being hit in head twice. One also got shot and one was also strangled. So weird. Weird. There was evidence that the sisters had been sexually assaulted, and police on the scene posited that it was maybe with the brass end of a whip, because they didn't think mm-hmm. there was any semen, so they were like, this is maybe how that happened. Yeah. Police couldn't find the whip, though, 
probably because, you know how it took them two days to get out there to investigate? Yeah. They didn't close down the scene in those two days. They just left it open. (sighs) And it's the 1800s. Everyone's terrible. There's no TV. There's nothing to do. So guess what that means? Go look at the crime scene in your local neighborhood. Yup. Shit ton of gawkers. So... Crowds had flooded the area. Everybody was like, I'm gonna go check out this weird fucking death. And they just left the bodies out. So because a bunch of randos came, they trampled the scene. They stepped all over anything. If there were Uh. footprints in the mud, they're gone now. They possibly took stuff away, but generally they destroyed any possible evidence that could have been found. That's so stupid. I want to just like go smack all of them. Be like, what the fuck? It's the 1800s. (laughs) This is how people were. Michael's body also had been tampered with, they think. They're not sure. His hands could have been bound. But with various police and witness accounts kind of conflicting, it's not clear if his hands were always free, if his hands Mm -hmm. were bound, or if his hands were bound at one point and he had his purse in one of them, but then they were untied and a breaching strap was found nearby. So also because Michael had his purse in his hand, he was missing 15 shillings, which as of 2010 was worth $100. Oh, wow. And they knew he had that money with him when he went to the dance hall. So that money is now gone. But did the murderer take the money? Did McNeil, the brother-in-law, take the money? Because he was like, hey, this is my family. I know he's got cash on him. Let's secure this for the fam. Or was it a random bystander who was like, hey, that dead body looks like it's got something in his hand. Let's untie his hands, take the wallet, and help ourselves to the hundred bucks inside. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Because the crime scene was unattended for two fucking days. (sighs) So. You can't keep someone on watch? Like. I mean, it's the 1800s, Sasha. Right? You can't expect them to be good at things. You can't expect them to do anything. So right off the bat, some sloppy crime solving. But don't worry, they could probably turn it around, right? Mm, I I don't like the way you said that. (laughs) You shouldn't, because they for sure did not. Oh, God. So. The original autopsies on the three bodies were performed by government medical officer Don von Losberg. Dr. von Losberg was not great at his job. Oh, no. He couldn't find the bullet used to kill Michael, which should have been lodged in his head because there was no exit wound. But he just, like, rooted around in there and was like, I don't know, man, I couldn't find a bullet. Kashrug. Dr. von Losberg eventually filed his super inaccurate report, though, and the bodies were allowed to be buried even though nobody involved with the investigation actually said the bodies were good for burial. So they, so Dr. Von Losberg was like, yeah, it's fine. Do whatever you want with them. I'm done. He's so bad at his job. Yeah, he's going to get worse. He is ridiculous. So there ended up being so many inconsistencies between the autopsy, official police reports, and eyewitness accounts that the bodies were exhumed a couple months later. Because they were oh, like, God. okay, this is a clusterfuck. You did this wrong. We got to take him back out and take another look at him. The new coroner assigned to the task found the bullet in Michael's skull and determined that he had been shot first, then bludgeoned to hide the bullet hole. Ah. So to kind of cover up that he had been shot, just clocked Yeah. The new report also said that both women had been sexually assaulted, but cast doubt on the theory that that had been done with a whip. But the state of the body was such that they couldn't say conclusively. Because at this point, some time has passed. You know, it's the 1800s. Right. They're decomposing. There's not a lot they can do. Like, it's just kind of fucked. Police ended up interviewing somewhere between one and 3,000 people (laughs) to try and get to the bottom of this case. So basically, the town at the time, I think I read, only had like 450 people in it. So basically, 
everybody and their mother, they were like, you want to come talk about this case for a little bit? Right. Even with all of this interviewing, though, no promising leads ever turned up, at least during the initial investigation. Oh, my God. Two women who lived on the neighboring farmstead, because remember, the bodies were found at the neighbors, like, in the neighbor's pasture. Yeah. Two women who lived on that farmstead told police they heard a woman screaming father around the time of the murders. So, oh, no. That's so sad. Some locals then believe, okay, the murderer is Daniel, the Murphy patriarch. And he probably committed the murder to cover up for incestuous abuse. Oh, no. Other townspeople accused one of the seven remaining Murphy siblings, possibly again for incest reasons, because there's ten of them and, you know, everybody was involved in this fucking case. So they're just all, like, just theories on theories. Right. Some other people accused a local priest, just because. I couldn't find any reason why they did. They were just like, I think the priest did it. Police were like, okay. Okay. Another account pointed the finger at a former associate of Michael's that had been found to have a criminal past, and said criminal past was discovered because Michael's the one who figured it out and exposed him. Ah. And this associate had been, there were strikes going on with, I think, sheep shearers, like a sheep Uh shearers union, and the guy, the associate, was like huge in the strike movement. But now he's found to be a criminal, so now the strikers are like, get the fuck away from us. We want to be, like, a legitimate union, and you're fucking it up with your crime. So he's suddenly no longer in a position of power. So they're like, okay, well, maybe this dude killed them to get revenge on Michael for Mm -hmm. revealing his dark secret past. Right. Yet another rumor was that Polly, one of the older sisters in the Murphy family and the one married to McNeil, had rejected a suitor who then took out her siblings as revenge for the spurning. Oh. Some toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity. Yeah. Oh, you don't want me? Well, I'll kill three of your family members. How do you like me now? And then there was yet another rumor that Michael, young strapping lad at 29 that he was, was very popular with the young ladies in Gatton. And he had maybe fathered more than one baby out of wedlock. This rumor also stated that one of the women Michael allegedly knocked up had died in childbirth, thus giving the family motive to punish Michael for his misdeeds. You fucked uh, my daughter, then she died. I'ma kill you and torture your sisters too. Yeah. It's like it's too bad your sisters are here with you. We're gonna kill them too, kind of thing. Could be, or it could be, oh, doesn't it planned. hurt when somebody fucks with your family members? Gotcha. I mean it makes sense, but like there was no this is just because so many people got involved in this case, everybody had a fucking theory. Cause this was like hot goss. It was like, oh, did right. you hear about those Gatton murders? Well, I heard a priest did it. Oh, yeah, well, I heard that Michael knocked somebody up, and then she died, and her brother swore vengeance. Like, yeah, you know. It just, it's just rumor mill, rumor mill, rumor mill. Yep, and here's another rumor from the rumor mill. Maybe it was Nora who had pissed off the wrong person. Because, oh. according to one account, Nora had needled one of her school teachers, harassing her at home, and sending trash-talking letters to the Queensland newspaper about her. The teacher was allegedly driven to madness, and then her sister allegedly vowed revenge. So maybe it was Nora, the youngest Murphy sibling, murdered that day, who was the original target of the attack, and the other two were just there. And just, oopsie-doo. Yeah, it's like, well, I want to kill Nora, but since you guys are here, I'll do you guys too. Some pointed the finger at someone within the police force, arguing that the botched investigation was the result of... Not incompetence, but a strategy to cover up a crime committed by one of their brothers in arms. This is particularly plausible because one of the other Murphy siblings, Daniel Jr., was a police officer in the same area. 
Ah. So it's possible that they knew about the Murphy siblings' comings and goings because Daniel was a cop, and then maybe there was a cop who had seen the pretty young daughters and thought, you know what? Maybe I'll help myself. And then they were like, oh, a cop did this. We can't let that get out. It's the 1800s. Let's just shut this shit down. But the most promising suspect was found two years after the bodies were. So, two years later. This was a man named Thomas Day, alias Theo Farmer, alias Thomas Ferner. Day was a drifter, fitting police's original theory of the crime, which was that a random transient happened upon the three and just committed a random act of violence. Like, right. initially they were like, it's nobody in our small, close-knit community because stuff like that doesn't happen here. It's definitely one of these randos just wandering in and out. Yeah. One thing I wanted to just add was that, like, his alias isn't, mm-hmm. like, that different from his actual name. No. Like, I assume I just, like, laughed at that. Yeah, I, I... He might be a little simple. Like... Yeah. I don't know. He might be a murderer. He might be a simple person. He might be a simple murderer. It's unclear. But... Yeah. Anyway, so... Thomas mm. Day, which I think is his real name, but... You know, it's hard to say. So Day, in the days leading up to the murder, had been reportedly crashing in a shack near where the bodies were found. So he was kind of squatting in something kind of close to the area. So he had also just gotten a new job working for a butcher in Gatton in December 1898. So a couple weeks before this murder... He's got a new job in this town that where they live. So maybe he had seen them mm-hmm. around. Maybe he knew they had some money. Maybe he knew they had daughters that they, you know, that went to dances. Yeah. And even though he'd only been getting a few weeks, he had already been suspected in the death of a 15-year-old boy in a neighboring town. Oh. In, Jesus. In that case, the boy's horse had also been shot in the head, like the Murphy's horse. Ah... In 1900, Day was admitted to the Sydney hospital under one of his aliases with a self-inflicted gunshot wound. He eventually died of his injuries. One source claims he left behind a note stating that he was present during the Gatton murders and hadn't been able to sleep for the past two years due to nightmares of seeing the Murphys' heads bashed in. So, this is interesting for a lot of reasons, and we're going to get into a couple of them here in a second. But for me, I find it interesting that, okay, say he did leave behind this note, before he shot himself. Sure. Even in the note, he didn't say, I did these murders. He said, I was there. I was present. And I saw it happen, and now I can't sleep from seeing it happen. So just, you know, something but he worth- still didn't... Right, I was going to say, but he didn't say, like, who el- who was there. No. And we'll get into my theories here in a second, because I only have a little bit more, like, facts left. But there's there's a lot of, a lot of shit is fishy in this case. Mm-hmm. In the early days of the investigation, a magistrate told Mary, the mother of the murdered siblings, that he was confident the case would be solved by nightfall. The case was not solved by nightfall, though. No, it definitely was not. As the months went past, the case grew colder and colder. Even the day explanation wasn't given as the official story, and the case remains unsolved to this day. The police eventually opened an inquest into the killings to find out what went wrong with the investigation. Spoiler alert! Everything. Everything went wrong. Literally everything. They They fucked up the autopsy. They fucked up securing the crime scene. Fucked it all up. So, they created this inquest. And over the course of the inquest, they put our friend, Dr. Von Lossberg, on Ah. the stand. 
So, Dr. Von Losberg testified that he never performed a postmortem at all on the Murphy siblings because he had blood poisoning. So, like, he wasn't even at work that day. And that uh, he had told somebody not to have the bodies buried. No, I don't remember who I told, but I definitely told somebody. Uh... But then another clerk came forward saying that Von Losberg had chatted with the sub-inspector about the case and said that the postmortem had been completed, but he couldn't find a bullet and the bodies were good to be buried. Then Von Losberg was like, um, I've never seen this clerk in my life, so I don't I don't know what he's talking about. Like, I don't know this what guy. What are you and talking we were like, about? He literally said, like, it was a whispered conversation. So, like, even if he were there, he couldn't have heard it. And I put in my notes... This is the kind of thing that I say in Among Us when someone has correctly accused me of being the imposter. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's sus. Yeah, it's like, what? I wasn't even near there. I've never seen that in my life. What? Who died? What? I don't, I don't know. even know how to read. I had, I had blood poisoning, so, like, I wasn't even at work that day. But, like, if I had been at work, I would have told somebody that I hadn't done the postmortem yet and not to bury the bodies. And, like, that guy who said that I said it was okay to bury the bodies, I don't know who that guy is. And even if he were there and heard that conversation that I had, even though I wasn't at work that day because I was sick with blood poisoning, he couldn't have heard me because we totally whispered. <laughs> you know. It's totally like, legit, you, do you guys. on a normal day when you're a coroner. When you're a terrible coroner, terrible <laughs> you're a terrible He never coroner. accepted responsibility. He was like, it's not my fault. I did my job. I'm good. Bitch. Ugh. Fucker. The inquest fucker. also Absolute pointed fucker. the finger at Thomas Day, who, again, was only deemed a suspect after this inquest had occurred and hadn't come up in the police investigation. Day had been one of the 3,000 people police talked to, but... He asked the police if he was wanted for further investigation two weeks after the murder, and the police were like, nope, you're good. Have a great day. Sus. Sus. Here's some more sus. During the inquest, a bunch of evidence came out of the woodwork against Day, with one witness claiming he had seen Day washing blood off his sweater a few days after the murder. But remember, Day worked for a butcher, which is not an unbloody job. Right. So it's possible he just wore his sweater to work and then did, you know, butching. Right. Got blood on his sweater. One constable came forward to say that he had found the revolver suspected to be used in the murders in a swamp next to the butchery where Day worked. Keep in mind, this inquest was opened a year after the bodies were found. And now all of a sudden police are like, oh, yeah, we found the gun that we think did it. It's in the swamp next to the butchery where this guy works. And, oh, yeah, a couple days after I saw him washing the blood out of his sweater. So he totally did it. Uh a he year totally later, be- only when I- the police are like, how did we fuck this up? And some important people are asking questions. Right. There were also rumors, this is where it gets extremely sus, there were rumors that Day and another person of interest in the earlier murder were related to some, quote, mighty magnate in Australia who would have the power to pull some strings to protect his relatives. The case uh-huh. remains unsolved to this day. So, here are my theories. I think it is enti- it is possible that Day did it, but I also think it's possible that he was the fall guy because he was a weird transient, and yeah. it's possible that they pointed the finger at him in 1899 because they knew he was related to this big muckety-muck, and the big muckety-muck would be able to keep him away from getting into actual trouble, so they'd have a convenient scapegoat, but also the convenient scapegoat wouldn't actually have to meet with justice. It's just so weird that, like, during the inquest, they're like, oh, yeah, we found the gun. And we found this dude that we told right after the murders that he wasn't a person of interest, but he, like, definitely did it. That's weird. It's a weird fucking case. It's a weird fucking case. I don't yeah. like it. I don't like, <laughs> I had never heard of this, and I'm like, this is so weird. And, like, remember how carefully the bodies were set? There was a rug that they set down. So 
Why would a random transient who was squatting in a rug. shack have a fucking rug that he could lay out flat and neat? That, that's what I don't get. And this sort of, when you're talking about, like, this case hasn't been solved, I just started thinking about that no- mystery novel I texted you about, the Australian yes. one, Picnic at Hanging Rock, mm-hmm. where I was just like, what is with these Australian? <laughs> well, I was going to say, what's with the Australians and these unsolved murderers? But, like... What is with anyone in unsolved murderers right? or unsolved I mean, disappearances? Was, I was going to also talk about the Somerton Man, which is also <laughs> a weird unsolved Australian murder. <laughs> and there's like there was a disappearance of a family of children in Australia. Like Australia has some wild unsolved murders, you guys. Yeah. But also like it's just it's so weird that there was one the rug. So like okay, let's say it's not I Thomas Day. Somebody else. Somebody had a rug to lay out. Or I guess the family could have had the rug in their little sulky, but like nobody said they went into town to buy a rug and then Yeah, the only thing I can think of is that it was like a picnic blanket or like a picnic type rug that you'd put on the ground so you wouldn't get your dress dirty. But like that they didn't specify that like it was ever the family's rug. It was just a rug. Yeah, everything that I read just described it as a rug and then all of the bodies had been neatly arranged. Like that kept coming up over and over was that the bodies were neatly arranged so that their feet pointed west and their heads pointed east. Yeah. And then they formed a weird triangle with the horse, which is odd because you would think... If you were going to kill three people, you'd just kill them and leave them where they were. Yeah. And you wouldn't take the time to, like, separate some of them and, like, arrange them. I don't know. None of it makes sense. It's weird. None of it makes sense. And every couple of years, they, like, reopen it or somebody new comes forward. Like, the theory that it was Michael's criminal associate whose criminal past he revealed, that was a descendant of the Murphy family who posited that theory. And she just came forward with it a couple days ago. Wait, can you remind me what year this was again? 1898. Okay. It was Boxing so I mean, Day, like, 1898. It's like a very cold case at this point, you know? Yeah, it's like, been 122 years. Probably we're not going to get answers. But yeah, there are still descendants who are asking questions. But that's crazy because they'll probably never get answers. Mm-mm. Not at this it's point because everybody involved is super dead. 22 years. Yeah. Yeah. So the Jesus. people who were involved in the investigation are dead. The murderer is presumably dead. The other Murphy siblings are dead. All the witnesses are dead. All the people who tramped through the crime scene and took home souvenirs are dead. Are dead. Jesus. It's weird. So it's weird. I saw this and I was like, I got to talk about this because I've never heard of this. And this is bananas. And like I messaged you and I was like, I never say cult killings. But I'm like, the first account I read did not mention any of the police incompetence. It was just like, they were found, they were all killed in this similar way, but they were all killed essentially twice with two things rather than just the one. And then their bodies were arranged and the horse was set a specific distance to make a shape. I was like, ooh, this is some cult shit. And then I read further into this and then I was like, maybe it's a police cover-up? But then maybe it's a police cult cover-up? Like maybe there was a dude on the police force who was in a fucking cult and just did this. But then like, how did... Why couldn't Day sleep? But he was also in a shack. So maybe he heard screaming and came to check it out, saw something horrible, saw somebody in a position of power and was like, I'm not going to run my mouth because that's going to get me in trouble. Or maybe Day did it. And he just got extremely lucky with police incompetence to not get accused until after his death. Like, right. I don't I, ha- I don't it have answers. Make sense. 
It's so weird. It's so, it's just, it's fucking weird. So, it's fucking weird. That is my weird death, is yeah. these three Murphy siblings. So, listeners, if you have any weird, famous, or strange deaths to share with us, let us know. The whole reason this topic even came up was because, I can't even remember who it was, someone was tweeting about it on the TL, on the mm-hmm. Twitter TL, and, like, just everyone's sharing, like, esoteric information about weird deaths that they like to bring up as, like, small talk at cocktail parties, and they're yeah. like, I don't know why people think I'm weird. It's like, yeah, no, those are the, our kind of people. So yeah. definitely hit us up yep. if there are weird deaths that you know of or mm-hmm. strange deaths or famous deaths or weird unsolved cases, cult killings. Just, you know, shout it out. Yeah, you can email spoopour at gmail.com or you can contact us via Twitter and Instagram at spoopour. Yeah. It's like, if you know of un- other people who like Galileo and Rasputin just wouldn't go down. They just were like, you uh, can keep trying to kill me, but you're not going to be yeah. able to kill me in any way that matters. <laughs> Let us know about those people, because yeah. that's so funny. Like Just Galileo, they were like, we're going to sentence you to death. And he was like, just kidding. I renounce all of it. And they're like, haha, okay, but we're still going to house arrest you and you can just go back to work. And he's like, haha, okay. And he worked for seven more years. Yeah, like, and then he's like, yeah, I'm definitely going to die soon. Seven years later. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's Jesus. just, I'm still thinking about the Gatton murders. It's just so fucking weird. It's so weird. It's fucking weird. I don't like it at all. You shouldn't. No. Anyway, thanks anyway. for listening. <laughs> Happy holiday season. We hope you enjoyed our festive holiday music here at the top of the episode. We're also going to have holiday cards so yes. if you want one and you aren't backing us on Patreon or involved in the podcast card swap. So basically, if you're not a person who's already getting a card and you would like one, email spoobar at gmail.com. We'll plop one of those in because the mail for you. we had to order 50. We did. <laughs> and we only y- needed like 35. Yep. So, so there are some extras. <laughs> yeah. So Let us know if you want one. Yeah. Contact us. Have a great week. Be safe. Find your coziness. Cling yeah. to it. Tell Eat me it who'd... if you like it, wear it if you want it, you yep. know, just do what makes you cozy. Yes, and also tell me who committed the Gatton murders. Like, I swear yeah, I seriously. won't tell anyone, I just need to know. <laughs> Please. <laughs>